Ephesians 5. The gospel transforms our relationships. That's the key to the text. The key to the book of Ephesians is first three chapters. There's only one command. It's the command to remember. Remember what the Lord has done for us. God the Father has chosen us before the foundations of the world that we might be holy and without blame before him. That's why he chose us, to be his his children, holy and blameless. And then we know that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered on the cross, paid for our sins, provided the forgiveness of sins, and ultimately will bring about the consummation of all things under him. And the Holy Spirit himself has indwelt us and sealed us and uh, is, is preserving us until the day of redemption. So we have the whole Godhead working on our behalf in our glorious salvation, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then 4, 5, and 6, it just shows how the gospel transforms every relationship. It transforms my speech, it transforms my desires, it transforms my behavior, but it really hits home in the house, because that is, that is where I spend my time. I spend my time in my relationship with my wife and in our home, for the most part. And this is the glory of the gospel. And so we were challenged a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 5 that wives submit to your own husbands as we are filled with the Spirit. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Ephesians 5.24 says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. But now today we look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, as we bow before you, thank you for how the music and the prayers and everything has already shaped our heart. It has already um, brought discipline to our mind and correction to our mind as we think of the Lord Jesus and all that he has done for us on the cross. And now we put our attention to the word. This is living word. This is, this word of God goes right to the very division of soul and spirit. It is alive. It is powerful. And the Holy Spirit who breathed out this word now dwelling in us can bring it to light and can bring it to power. So our marriages this week will will change and be different. And day by day, degree by degree, we become more conformed to the image of Christ. Father, help us see this morning the responsibility of husbands. Great, great sacred duty and honor to love our wives. Father, we don't want to be caught in the trap and snare of the world. Which, which would dictate how we treat our, our wives and families. 
what our mindset and what our heart might be, but we want to be transformed by what you say and by what you want our heart and mind to be towards our wife and family. So, Father, use these words, use the Holy Spirit for your honor and glory. And may the marriages at Faith Baptist be different because of Christ in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to share just a few things. Two points, actually, regarding this text. First of all, marriage is a picture of the gospel. We can see that. Husbands, love your wives. Our relationship and love for our wife should be imitating something. It says here, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. All right? So it's a picture of the gospel. Paul says marriage is a mystery. A man and a woman be um, separated from father and mother to live together until death do us part. When that was designed back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2, God already had in mind when, Adam was, when Eve was brought to Adam that this is what the church would be like, Christ and his relationship with the bride called the church. So I believe the gospel is where it started, and marriage is just simply a picture, a representation. Much like in my, in my pocket, I have a picture of my wife and I on our, on our engagement. This is our engagement photo. Um, this is just a picture you know, the real marriage is taking place day by day at home in constant conversation and all of this together and activity together. This is just a physical representation of this. Marriage is like this. Christ's love for us in the gospel is the reality. That's the real thing. So our marriages should picture the depth of love that Christ has for the church and the church's obedience and submission to the Lord. Really, that's, we are patterning our life after the greatest event in all human history, Christ, God, becoming flesh and going to the cross for us, paying our sin in his body so we might live forever. Not just live forever, but to live in holiness forever. So marriage, it is the most important thing for us as, uh, as the human race. And I, I hate what the world has done for marriage. The world has degenerated the whole thought and concept of marriage. And we want to lift it up and, and remind ourselves the great value and importance in marriage. I want to take you back, as we think about this, uh, to the Garden of Eden. So you remember the story. Adam was told to subdue and have dominion over all creation, and then God gave him his wife out of his own side. And while they were in the garden, God had given the command, as he placed Adam in the garden, to do two things. To protect the garden, he said, Adam, you are to keep the garden and nourish it. Keep it and tend it. Those are the two things that Adam was to do. To, to guard or to keep the garden would mean, it's, it's a military word. You'd only use a military word if there's an enemy lurking about. God knew Satan had rebelled against him and was seeking not only a third of the angels to rebel against God, Satan was looking to get mankind on his side in rebellion against God. God said, Adam, you need to guard the garden. Keep it. Guard it. Keep your eyes out for the enemy, and do not let your wife go near the enemy. Doesn't that make sense? The second responsibility was to cause the garden to flourish. Whatever the fruit trees and vegetables would look like, Adam was to till the ground and work the ground, although there were no weeds at the time. He was to work the garden to cause it even more beauty and more, more, um, more flourishing with all of the fruits and vegetables and things like that. All right? There was a day when Eve 
is going by the tree that God has forbid. Out of all the trees, God had forbidden one, the knowledge of, of good and evil. And God said, the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. Now, there is a day when Adam and Eve are hanging out in the garden, and Eve is right next to the tree. She's close enough to the tree to hear the serpent, who is the devil, who snuck in and is in the tree, and he's talking and dialoguing with Eve. Eve, has God really said, you shall not eat this tree? Eat the fruit of this tree? Where is, where is Adam when this is taking place? Right next to her. Right. What? What is he doing letting his wife stand that close to the tree? He should be guarding her and protecting her from that tree. Stay away from that tree. Don't go near that tree. You are too close. Five steps back, Eve. Please, five steps back. Don't go near the tree. They are hanging out by the tree. She's having a conversation with a serpent who is in the tree. She is deceived. She, she sees she's looking at the fruit. She sees that it would make her wise. She pulls the fruit off the tree. What, what, what is Adam doing? Nothing. He, she pulls the fruit off the tree. She begins to put it towards her mouth. Where is Adam? Where are you, Adam? He's standing right next to her. He's, he's like, well, don't get it too close, Eve. Just look at it and maybe smell it. But next thing you know, she's chomping on it. And then she gives it to Adam. The Bible says, who was with her? And, she eats of the fruit, and he eats of the fruit and plunges us all into sin. From there, God stands Adam, Eve, and the devil right before him. Remember the story? And then when he gets to Adam, what does Adam say? Adam says, Lord, the woman whom you gave me, she made me do this. Blame shifting. He accepts no responsibility. Now, what does Eve say? Because next he goes to Eve and she says, the serpent, he deceived me. She's, she's following Adam's pattern. Blaming it on somebody else. It was the serpent. It was Eve. You did this, Lord. It's your fault. You know? So here's a few things that went wrong. And here's what Jesus does in Ephesians 5. And men, here's where you need to start. So here's where we start. Adam went into passive mode. He let Eve have a conversation. He let her stand next to the tree. He let her take the fruit off the tree. He let her put the fruit in her mouth. He let her swallow it, and then he let her give it to him. He is completely passive in the whole scene. Not so in Ephesians 5. Look at Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Do you know who initiated our salvation? Who brought about the action of our salvation? Jesus Christ. Here we are in rebellion against him, and, and Jesus Christ says, I will leave heaven. I will take upon myself human flesh. I will go to the cross. I will die for all mankind. Jesus Christ is not passive. Is he, is he passive? Not at all. He is active. He is action. So first of all, husbands, if you want to love your wives, here's where you begin. You've got to be active. You've got to take action as the man in the house. As a husband, in order to love your wives, you've got to act. This is not based on, we're not commanded here to have, he's not saying, husbands, get this emotional, lovey-dovey feeling in your heart more and more as the day goes. It's not like I need to go, oh, I just get so excited when I hold your hand. There's like a beating in my heart and I begin to perspire and all this is so cool. That's not what the Lord is telling us to do. 
He's saying, love your wives. It's not an emotional response to your wife. It is action. It is to display, listen, you guys, it is to display a certain set of behaviors that imitate the Savior. You agree? But do you know what the fall has done? It has caused every man to go into passive mode. How come the men aren't leading the wives into into Scripture? How come men don't say, family, we're going to read Scripture today. Let's read this text. Let's pray together. Who's doing that in the house? The women are. If given, who would, who, would, who would lead the church and do a great job at it? All the women. You try to get a man to stand up and do something in church, it's like pulling teeth. Please, we need you, men. We need you. No, I don't, I don't have other things going on in my life. Really? Really? Is that what Jesus said when he was up in heaven? Rebellious mankind on earth needed a savior? Uh, I've got other things on my agenda today. Why do that? No way. He moves heaven and earth to take upon himself human flesh. He is all action. He rejects passivity like Adam in the garden. Not only that, he accepts responsibility. He took upon himself all of our sin on the cross. There's no blame shifting. There's no saying, but Father, they made me go to the cross. I didn't want to, but man, they were so mean down there. I just can't believe those people. Do you really love them? No. He's like, Father, if your will is that I go to the cross and bear the weight of the sin of the world and I go to hell and feel the torment of being separated from you, if I feel a lake of fire, 25 million degrees Fahrenheit of of liquid fire that I'm floating in and my skin is burning up and my lungs are are frying, and if I have to suffer that for a whole eternity in order for mankind to go free, Father, I will do it, I will accept responsibility, and I will act. Can you imagine if every believer husband went into action mode regarding spiritual things? Can you imagine what that would do to our homes? Radical transformation. People would say, men leading? That's what God has called us to do. Accept responsibility instead of blaming everybody? Yeah, you bet. That's fantastic. You see, God is asking us not to churn up these super emotional feelings for our spouse. He's saying, husbands, love your wives. It's a command. He doesn't command our emotions to be changed. He commands our will to be changed. We need to act loving. And when we act loving, the feelings will follow. This, I think, is why a lot of families do this. I think of the Lilo family, a brand new baby. This baby is the neediest person in the whole world, isn't he? Beautiful baby, but he's super needy. He needs to be fed. He needs, he needs to go to sleep. He needs to be changed. He needs to be washed. He is completely dependent on John and Angie. So what are they going to do the next 18 years? They're going to act loving. They're going to act loving. That child is not always going to be a loving child. He will be rebellious. He will have his sin issues. But they are going to act loving. Because that's what parents do. They're going to act loving. And you know when they act loving? They're going to feel loving. Because after they've acted loving over and over and over and over, and by the time he's 18, they've invested so many actions of love that their feelings are just all bound up in this child. And then all the children leave the home. And, they, and what, why do marriages break up? Because they never had that co- covenant of love towards their spouse. They devoted it all into their children. So when their children are gone, they're looking at each other saying, but I don't really like you anymore. Who are you? I mean, I loved our children, but, but you, I mean, I don't even know if I like you. I don't even know you anymore because we've changed, right? Because husbands have stopped, have stopped the, following the command of acting for their wife. That is, you want to be, be a great mom or dad? Be the very best, best husband or wife that you can to your spouse. 
I will tell you that. It is not, that is the biggest, I think, parenting thing out there. Husbands, you be the very best godly husband for your wife, and that is the best thing you can do for your children. And wives, you respond and be the best godly wife for your husband, and that is going to do more for your children than any type of parenting course you can take or curriculum you can find out there. Because we've lost this. You know what husbands are? Husbands are like this. It's my rights, it's my agenda, it's my preference. I'm the one working all day to make a paycheck. When I want to watch a football game, I don't want to be interrupted. Don't you dare interrupt me. This is my time. Do you hear Jesus saying that? He's up in heaven saying, but Father, go to the cross now. The football game's on. The angels are beating the blue angels or whatever. I mean, and you know, or, 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 or it's like this. Hey, I don't have time for my wife and family because I need my free time. I've got hobbies that need to be... I, I, I need some relaxation time, and it means I'm going to go and do this and go do that. I'm going to hunt or fish or snowmobile or whatever, or work on my car or buy and sell or whatever. But you know what? I don't have time for my wife. That is not loving. That is not loving at all. God has called us to lay aside our rights, lay aside our preferences, lay aside anything that we might desire in order that we would love and devote ourselves to our wife. Do you see what I'm saying? It is, there's, no, there's no self in it. If there's any self in it, it's not love. So that is what God has called us to do, to act, to act loving. Now listen, here's how most people, get, here's how most people do it. They look at, they look at a group of women whether they're in high school or college, and they think, oh, she's cute. There's ten women, and wow, um, three are really cute, and I bet one of those three would make a nice wife. Then they find, they go after those three that they think are really pretty, and they think, oh, I've got some lovey-dovey feelings for them, and I think they're just going to be perfect, and they're going to narrow the three down to one that they think, man, this woman's going to do everything for me. She's going to love traveling like I travel. She's going to love vacations like I vacation. She loves the food I love. She likes the sports I like. Man, we're going to play tennis. We're going to have fun. We're going to go to the beach. It's going to be great. I love this woman. She's going to change my life. I love her. There's nothing that can stop this love. So they stand in front of a pastor, and they're like, I do, I do. Oh, this is the most beautiful woman in the whole world. I love her so much. My feelings abound. And then two weeks after the honeymoon, it's like, you do what? This is seriously how you... You've got flaws? You've got imperfections? Well, as soon as we see that our spouse has flaws, what happens to our emotions? They kind of fizzle out like they've just been rained on. And then we begin to think, well, Lord, this isn't the way I wanted it. I mean, I didn't want a sinner. I didn't want somebody who did that. I mean, honestly, Lord, uh, this person's... Uh, I didn't know her like that. When we get, she never showed me that part of her when we were being engaged, when we were engaged, right? And then all of a sudden, because of our feelings, most people in the world, what do they do at that point? They're like, I'm out of here. I'm going to find somebody else who's pretty and who else, and then I like hanging around with because this one is not for me. And right away, divorce and move on. Then what do they do with that one? Same thing, divorce and move on. Why? Because they just they, they fell out of love. Fell in love, fell out of love, all that type of thing. No, that's not what God has commanded us to do. We're going to see the purpose of the marriage in just a minute. But right now we're looking at the quality and the manner of love. Here's what the Word of God says. Husbands, love your wives. Don't conjure up or try to develop more emotions for your wife. You need to act loving. And if you're acting loving, it's, it's sacrificial. Husbands, 
It is sacrificial love that will cost you something. It's going to cost you some money and treasures. It's going to cost you your preferences for vacation. It's going to cost you your preferences for your hobbies, your free time. Because you know what? It's all about her. It's all about your wife. Isn't it for Christ all about the church? Why would he do that? Not because the church is so lovely and without flaws. That's his nature to love. You know why he loves the church? Not because we're so lovely, but because he wants to make us lovely. So husbands, he's calling you to love not because you're some lovely, beautiful creature without flaws, but he wants you to love them in order to make them lovely, in order to make them the new creation, the glory self that God has designed for them from eternity past. That, husbands, are why you are married. That is why you are married. But you've got to act. You've got to initiate. You've got to start that process. Listen, don't try to be loving. Don't think this way. Well, I'm going to start acting loving when I feel loving. There's nowhere in the Bible that that's commanded. Don't ever just think you can't, you, you can't act loving until you are feeling loving. You know, when, you know what I think true love is? True love is when you are actually loving the, under, uh, the other individual when they are not love-worthy. Listen, it is easy for me to love my wife when she's so loving to me. Any effort. Do you know when it's hard for me to love my wife? When she's not super lovely, although she's always lovely. But, but, you know, but, but she's got flaws. And when those flaws come up to the surface, I have to think like, Lord, you've commanded me to love in spite of her. I've got to demonstrate selfless, sacrificial love. That's the manner and the quality of love. Just like Christ loved the church, and listen to this, gave himself for her. That's what, that's what marriage is all about. Marriage is not about, here, the world says marriage is about what I'm going to get out of it. I made a bargain back when we got married. We stood before a pastor at a church, and I thought, I'm getting a good deal. I'm getting a woman who can cook. She loves to, she's funny. She loves to sing. Uh, we've got a lot in common. I mean, I, I'm getting a lot out of this bargain, right? The wrong mindset. The mindset of going into, so if you're single, the mindset should be, what can I give to this person? What, can, am I willing to give my life, my rights, my preferences, my hobbies? Can, am I willing to give everything for this one that you've given me, Father? That's it. So it's not, what am I going to get out of the marriage, but what am I going to give? What kind of quality and manner of love am I willing to give my life for this individual? It's easy to say that at the altar. Very difficult to do when you're five years, ten years, twenty years into marriage, and you're feeling like, this seems worse than when we began, you know? <laughs> Seriously. But that brings me to my second point. My second point is this. It's not only that we need to imitate the quality and the manner of love, but we need to imitate the goal of his love. Look at his goal in verse 26. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives, it's commanded, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the quality, it's the manner of love, it's action, it's loving even in spite of feelings and in spite of their worthiness. Verse 26, here's the goal or the purpose of your marriage. Before I read it, what is the goal or purpose of most marriages? I think it's this. Financial stability. She can work. I can work. We can have some nice financial stability. We're going to have some fun. We're going to work hard and not always enjoy our jobs, but we're going to have fun. When we vacation, blast. 
skiing in Aspen, uh, beaches in Bahama, um, Bahamas. Yeah, we, marriage is going to be blast because her and I are going to hang out together. We're going to dance into the moonlight. It's going to be great, glorious. You know, we're going to have a rough times. So I'm going to have to go to work. And I'm, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to live for those great days of vacations and, and parties and all of that. Um, financial stability, uh, companionship. Man, I like somebody who can go out and do stuff with me. But that is not the purpose of your marriage. The purpose of your marriage, according to the Bible, is verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. Wow. Or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish. You know why God puts you in marriage if you're married? It is to help the other person become the person in Christ that he intended before the foundation of the world. You see, for those who believe in Jesus, you have an old nature and a new nature. And the old nature is still there. And sometimes it's hard to see the new nature. Because the old nature just gets in the way. You know, like some people are fearful where they are just full of anxiety. Some people are proud where they are so selfish and arrogant they have an opinion about everything. Some people are, are, some people are inflexible. That's a major sin issue. They're inflexible. Um, they're demanding. They sulk and pout if they don't get their own way. Some people are abrasive and harsh where they really demand more respect and, and they're really not very lovely. Uh, some people are undisciplined, they're unreliable, they're unorganized. Some people are oblivious to all things, they're distracted, they have no idea what's going on, and they're insens- insensitive to other people's needs. There's some people that are perfectionists. They absolutely have to have everything done in a perfect way, and they become judgmental and critical of others. There's some people who are impatient, they're irritable, and they blow up and have temper tantrums and anger. Some people are pleasers. They'll do anything to, to pacify the situation and sweep anything under the rug and not ever deal with anything. These are all flaws and sin issues, right? These are all old nature characteristics. And they're in all of us. But when God has called you into marriage, he is saying, yes, that is the old nature, and that is not the permanent person. Inside that person, there's a new nature that is striving for godliness and holiness and Christ-likeness. And your job as a spouse is to bring that out, is to help that, help that form in our walk together. But isn't that true with all of us in the church? Listen, in the church, Hebrews 10.24 says, to brothers and sisters in Christ, gather together as an assembly of believers in order to provoke unto what? Provoke unto love and good works. You know why I'm in the church? To provoke you to love Christ and do good works to one another. That's why I'm here. Not only that, Hebrews 3.13 says that I need to affirm your gifts and day by day warn you of a hardened heart that you could grow out of your sins. So another reason I'm part of the church is to help you grow out of those habitual wicked sins and grow more like Christ. But out of everybody in the church, who is my very closest neighbor? This is the one that is my closest neighbor. And if God has commanded me to do all of that for you, provoke you to love and good works, affirm your gifts, and then help you grow out of those sins, should I not be doing that first and foremost here with this person? 
Because yes, she has sinful flaws and imperfections, but I know her heart, and I know what Christ wants to make of her, and so I need to provoke her to love and good works. I need to affirm her gifting, and then, and then I need to help her grow out of those sins and imperfections more into the grace of Jesus Christ. So when I'm standing before our pastor 20 years ago next month, that's how long we've been married. When we were standing before our, the pastor, I had no concept of this. I was just thinking, oh, I love this person. I'm going to be so happy. I love her, I love her, I love her. And we're standing in front of the Lord. And the, and, but you know what the Lord is really saying? Brian, what you're doing in front of the pastor is just a small, faint picture of the day you and Melissa stand before my son Jesus. And then you will look at Melissa just as the new creation God created her. I will see her with pure character, every word gold, every action pleasing to Christ. And you know what I'm going to say up in heaven? You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to, I'm going to look at Melissa. Stand up. I'm going to look at Melissa. Here we are, standing before the Lord. I might remember my name. <laughs> I might, yeah, at our wedding, I almost forgot her name. I was so nervous. We had written our own vows, and if you look at our video, I had my vows in my pocket, and I, I was trying to remember. Usually, I have a photographic memory, but I could not even remember her name at our wedding. I was like, Melissa. It was hard. I'll remember her name. I'll be like this. I'll be like, Melissa. Here's Jesus Christ. Here's you and I, and you're getting your rewards. I'll be like, Melissa, during our 20 years on earth that God gave us, I saw, I saw glimpses of glory when you, when you showed Christ-like character and you were developing your gifts and you were sharing and ministering to those who are in need, and I saw examples of Christ in you. But now I see you in full glory, without spot, without blemish, with no wrinkle. And, and, and I really am perfect. Yes, she's really perfect. And then, and then God, God will say, Brian, this is why I had you be her husband, that you could love her, you missed it down, in such a way, you're, you're done now, um, no, that I could love her and treat her. Now, you guys, I could love and treat my wife in such a way that will, will affirm her gifts, that will make her say, I just want to serve Christ with my whole heart. But, but listen, as a pastor, I could also treat her in a way that she will say, I never want to serve the Lord again. I don't want to sit in church. I don't want to sing another song. I don't want to make another meal for somebody. I don't want to have to put up with messy, dirty people anymore. I mean, by my actions, I could either help God produce the glory of grace in her life, or I can make her, listen, so miserable that she would be like, I just want out of this life and marriage. And I don't even care about the Lord anymore. Isn't that sad that I have that kind of power? But God has given that to me as a husband. He has commanded, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her. So you know the purpose in my marriage? It's not for super financial stability and lots of exotic vacations and all of this retirement someday coming, which isn't going to happen, but maybe it would, or whatever in my dream world. But if that's not why God put us together. God put us together so that I can so be a part of her life and influence by my speech and my actions that she will love Christ. And then slowly by slowly, and I'll tell you what, it's, it's like this. Picture an old bridge over a river. And the old bridge has lots of small cracks, and there's some engineers who you guys can relate to this. There's small hairline cracks in the bridge that nobody can see. 
But then you drive a heavy, big truck on that bridge. What do you see now? All of those cracks become exposed and big and glaring, don't they? That's what marriage is like. Marriage, we're coming into marriage, two broken bridges with hairline cracks. And marriage is the weight or the pressure on our marriage. When we're living together and we see each other flaws and we, we offend each other and we hurt each other and we say the wrong things and we do the wrong things, and then we realize we are really two sinners living in the same house trying to get along. And all of these hairline fractures that I thought were no big deal become big, glaring gaps. But God's grace and the power of the gospel begins to change our hearts. And now I'm not looking at her imperfections. I'm seeing, you know what? She really has a a heart for others. She will do anything to help somebody. And I'm going to nurture that. Like I nurture my own body. I got, it sha- I got it shaved and washed and dressed today all by myself. So because I took care of this, how much more should I nurture her and cleanse her and help her so that this week she's going to do some phenomenal things for Christ and she'll be given rewards for those in heaven. That's the goal. That's, the, that's why we're married. And you know what? 20 years later, I don't, I don't see those imperfections like I did before. I mean, when we were first married, it was like, Melissa, can you not put the toilet paper on right? Can you not push the toothpaste the right? Those were the things we talked about and argued about. It was like, Melissa, are you always going to leave dirty dishes in the sink? Really? Come on. We were raised not to ever let that happen. That was like major sin in our life growing up. Her family, not so much. And those were the things, those first years of marriage, it was like, who are you? Nobody does this like this. It's, it's, you do it my way. But now, 20 years later, it's like, who cares? Wash the stupid dishes. Who cares about the toilet paper? At least you got it. They don't have it in Peru. Or, I mean, in, in Pakistan. None at all. You know, it's like, that's, you know, just overlook. Those are things that means nothing. It's the, it's the, the spiritual life that you have together, right? One last thing. So, husbands, do you get it? It's action. You need to lead by example, and you need to lead without thinking the emotions have to be there first. I mean, hopefully, the best thing is the actions followed with just intense emotion and passion. But even if the emotion and passion is not there, you're not out of it. You've got to act loving. Not superficially, not grudgingly, but because of the gospel. Here's what you think. Christ died for me. I'm unlovely. I'm unworthy. There was nothing in me that, that made God the Son say, wow, I better do this for him. He's so special. <laughs> I need to act that way towards my wife. I need to be like, she is God's daughter. She is the daughter of the heavenly king. Even if she doesn't act like it, I'm loving her. Like she's the daughter of the heavenly king. All right? That's the idea. And the whole purpose is to watch her develop into the woman of Christ that he wants her to be. And he's given me the privilege of being her most intimate companion to do that on this earth. And I'm the only one. I'm the only one that gets this. I am privileged. Now, if you're single today, maybe God has called you into singleness for whatever reason. Can I tell you this? The same goal is for you. Christ-likeness. And how is it shaped and formed? Within your brothers and sisters in church. God intends us to be part of this assembly for that very reason. So we do the same things. We love and provoke one another. We affirm their gifts. We help them grow out of sins. Because that's what this church family is about. 
So sometimes God says, I don't want you married. I want you single. Because I can accomplish the same work in your life as a single individual, and you'll be less distracted, and you can do far more for me than, than if you were married. He just has a different plan for some of it. And if you're young and waiting to be married, don't do, don't do the, oh, I just love this person. They're going to make me so happy just with what they offer me. I can never live without them. But think of yourself, can I, with this person's flaws being exposed someday, am I still willing to covenant and commit to shaping them in the image of Christ through my words and actions, just like Christ does for the church through his word? Am I willing to do that no matter how ugly that person may show up being? You know, you marry somebody, you think you're marrying a prince. And then years later, you realize they're not that princely. Are you still willing Are you still willing to love them and say, I know what God is doing in your life, and I'm going to see you through to the end of this thing? Right? That's that's why God says, "Whatever whatever God has joined together, let no one divide. Let no one divide. Because God is doing a work here. He's doing an incredible thing. Now, I, by the way, that was just my introduction. Um, (laughs) Sorry. I had, I, had, I, have, I had some other things too, but do you get that point? Do you get what's happening here? Do you see how vital marriage is and how God has just lifted marriage up to picture what Christ did for us? So there's a quality and a manner of love that God expects from husbands. You need to own up to it. Do not be like Adam in the garden. And then secondly, there's a, um, there is a goal and a purpose to your marriage. priority is, is this, let a man and woman leave their father and mother, be joined together to one flesh. There is the priority. If you're married, your marriage is priority. Don't mess it up. Do not mess it up. Know how to love. I read this. I don't know if this is true or not, but the in love stage, when, you get, when you're newly married and you're in love, it lasts several months to two years at the most, I guess. And then after that, you finally realize who that person is, and you're like, I just don't feel so loving anymore. I've lost that loving feeling. You know? And, and then, you, uh, then, you real, then you realize love is a commitment. It's a covenant. I love because Christ has loved me. It's a great thing. Isn't marriage good? It is. It's a good thing. It's hard. It's not easy. That's what I love about premarital counseling. The couples we, we sit before... They think it's going to be a piece of cake, and we're 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 giggling inside, going, "Just wait, just wait. They'll 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 get, they'll get it. They'll see. They'll see what it's like." And here we've only we've only been married twenty. It's a waste of time. Yeah. Some people think, "Oh, do we really have to go through this?" Yeah. It won't mean anything to you now, but later it will. And then I just think, wait, some of you guys have been married fifty. How many? Who's been married here the longest? Who's anybody been married 60, 60 years? Jim and Joan. How long have you guys been married? 58? Anybody more than 58? Ernie and Dolores? 63 years. Wow, we've only been married a third as long as you. Wow. I could have two-thirds more time with Melissa. That would be... We will live that long. We will live that long. Yes. All right. Wow. Pretty exciting. I love it. I just love it. God has done such a great thing in marriage. Again, marriage is just a picture of this. You know, Lord's Supper is a picture of this also. When we break the bread and pass it in just a minute, we're picturing the death of Jesus on the cross. And when we drink the cup, we're picturing that his blood was spilled out of his body so that we might have everlasting life. 
Let's pray. Father, I pray for everyone here. If they're in a married state, I pray that they would not seek to get out of marriage. I think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. To those who are married, don't try to get out. And for those who are not married, be careful before you enter it. Um, There's such good warning in the Bible. And then, Father, for our marriages, I do pray that they would be holy, happy places, that we would learn that our priority in marriage is for holiness, Happiness is a byproduct, not the prime product of our marriage. We pray, Father, that because of sacrificial love, actions of love, that um, happiness would fill our, our homes. But help us remember that that is simply an afterproduct. It is not the goal. The goal, Christ-likeness. And you've given us the privilege as husbands to lead and to initiate that love. So, Father, I pray for all of the men in our church. May they be initiators responsible leaders in spiritual things and in physical things at the home. Not ruling with an iron hand or dictator, dictatorial heart, but out of a servant heart, willing to stoop and to serve and to lay aside self. Then our homes will truly be lighthouses to this world. So thank you for the teaching of Scripture about marriage and how the gospel transforms even the most intimate and sacred of, of companions. And um, for those who are single, Father, I thank you that they are not unfulfilled or unsatisfied, but Christ is the one who satisfies and fills them as he fills those who are married. And that they, without distraction, can give wholehearted service to the Lord. And they can also grow in Christ-likeness through ministry. And thank you for those who are not yet married, but are young of uh, age where, where they might become married. Help them to not be like the world, seeking some emotional, physical love, but that they might see that there's a greater dimension in in marriage. So again, thank you for your word and for this time of remembering the Lord's death. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. I'd like to ask the deacons to come and prepare the table so we can pass out the bread and the cup, and then uh, we'll be so thankful to...